from the living room of a small apartment in central West Virginia, it's time for the Bang Your Head Podcast. And here's your host, Jake Simmons. What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the latest episode of the Bang Your Head Podcast. Appreciate you tuning in as always. Don't forget, check out the Facebook page. Uh, search for Bang Your Head Podcast with Jake Zimmers. We are also now available on some new streaming platforms, including Spotify and Google Podcast. Check it out. I have a link for the Spotify playlist. If you follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JMZ1994, you can get a link to the Spotify playlist, which has all of our episodes released to this point including last week's episode, uh, a tremendous episode with Ariel Thomas, which has quickly become the most listened to episode of the show. So appreciate you guys tuning in for that. And I really hope you guys stick around to check out this episode, sitting down with a great friend of mine, Rocky Elgogri, a recent college graduate, attended Temple University in Philadelphia, graduated from there with his uh, with his degrees, and is the now the founder of the brand new clothing brand, but also with a very, very important message. I'm happy you're alive. We're going to learn about what inspired him to create this brand. We're going to learn about his upbringing, living uh, in the suburbs of Reading, Pennsylvania, and we're also going to talk about an album that has had a significant impact on his life, as always. So I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to send it over right over to my sit-down with Rocky from I'm Happy You're Alive. Super stoked for another episode of the Bang Your Head podcast. My guest, uh, recent college graduate from Temple University in Philadelphia, taking a big step, starting his own brand, I'm Happy You're Alive. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about his love of music, his love for life. He's one of my favorite people. Um, Rocky Elkagari. I think I just messed up your last name and I apologize <laughs> anyway, but Rocky, welcome to the Bang Your Head podcast, buddy. It's so good to see you. Dude, what's up, Jake Zimmers? Like, also one of my favorite people just in existence, period. <laughs> oh, you're great, buddy. I appreciate that. So, Thank you for having me, man. Appreciate absolutely, it. Absolutely, man. So the, typically, uh, I, I, have, uh, I, I ask people pretty much the, the same opening question, um, and you have kind of a unique one with you, so I'll, I'll kind of ask it and kind of ask it twofold. Um, who is Rocky? And to follow up, is there a difference between Rocky and Sharif? <laughs> Dude, what, that's, that's a great way to start. Um, first and foremost, there is a small difference between Rocky and Sharif, just in the, the idea that Sharif is the person that I was born as, and like Sharif will be who I always am, but Rocky is sometimes this like larger-than-life kind of character. So have you been watching Dave? Yes. So there's little Dickie and Dave. I feel somewhat similar to that. Obviously, I'm not a famous rapper, nor will I ever be. But that, that like, Rocky is sometimes this larger-than-life person, and sometimes I'm just Sharif. Uh, and who is that person? I'm still figuring it out every day. I'm trying to just – I try to be as good as I can to the world. I have a mantra. I want to positively affect as many people as I can, causing the least amount of harm that's who Rocky is. And then he likes to have a fun time on that journey and figuring it out. Drink a couple rolling rocks. You know how it goes. Let's, uh, let's talk about your crazy journey growing up in the, the mean, the mean streets of, of Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, oh, man. talk, talk to me about, uh, what, what young Rockus was like. You would be surprised. So young Rockus was actually Sharif. I did not become Rocky until I was like 11 or 12 years old. And I was not, 
the amazing, awesome, sexy guy I am now is not who I always was. Um, I was bullied pretty badly in elementary school. I was for being overweight, for not being good at sports, which I'm the greatest athlete of all time. It's me and Jordan neck and neck. But I was not good at sports until, like, I was 13. Um, I was really smart. I didn't get my first B until I was in, like, in 10th grade. So, like, I was a nerd. So people made fun of me all the time. Also, like, I am Egyptian. So, like, elementary school was not great for me because, like, apparently I did 9-11. Like, I just was in school, but I also did it somehow. So elementary school wasn't exactly great, and I was not that talkative of a kid. I was not – like, I, I like to read. I like to – I would I was into sports, but like my dad wasn't into sports. So I just kind of I I knew a lot of stuff. Really good builder with Legos and wooden stuff like that. I was a weird kid. What uh what what sports were you a fan of growing up as a youth? Oh man. So I I I'm my again, when you don't have a dad who loves sports, but your mom does, you don't have like that. You have to be a this kind of fan. But I, I love I always loved soccer, but I hated watching it. Right. And as like I played soccer in college, I played at very high levels. Not a, I don't really love watching soccer unless we're at a bar and everyone's excited. People are painting their faces like that. I can get involved with. But I've always been a huge football fan. Like I recently became a bit a huge basketball fan, but I've always been like a huge football fan. I've been an Eagles fan my whole life. My mom, when our house got flooded, turned our basement into an Eagle shrine. Like I have green walls. We have like sofas that have like the eagles logo engraved in a huge projector like a framed i forget who the player is jersey it's signed like my basement's sick um but yeah go birds but i'm a secretly a vikings fan secretly a vikings fan how, how, how's that i when i was like 14 i was like you know what i need to pick my teams for life and they need to be the teams i want to pick and I picked my favorite players, and my favorite player at the time was Adrian Peterson. I just thought he was a dog. And this is before he beat his kids. So, like, pre-abusive Adrian Peterson, I was like, that man's a dog. This man looks for contact. I've always argued that, like, sports in the 80s and 90s are so much, like, more authentic than sports now, where people are like, I'm going to take games off. I'm going to rest. Like, there's this XFL interview where he goes, they're like, oh, after last week, you sustained a neck injury. Like, how are you playing this week? And he goes, is this or is this not the XFL? It is. Do I or do I not have a pulse? I do. Let's play football. Like, that's the mentality I think athletes should have. And I feel like we're getting a little prima donna-y in this era. Yeah, I noticed that a lot with the, the NBA, the, the, the quote-unquote load management. That, that phrase, that phrase, I, mean, I, I love watching first take, but I think Max Kellerman should get – the word load management next to another tattoo that says Kawhi Leonard because like, <laughs> like bro like he mentioned so much oh my god load management and th- they, he was talking about bringing load management to the NFL with Drew Brees and I'm like no that's not how sports works yeah. sorry we're we're turning this now into a sports podcast very early on but this is like and I, I'm I'm happy to do it but I know we're here for other things. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, name is Sharif. You have an Egyptian, Egyptian background, your family, um, obviously, um, talk to me a little bit about how that impacted. You mentioned, you know, elementary school wasn't a fun time for you. Um, cause again, people were like, Oh, Egyptian 9-11. Like, yeah, apparently they're hand in hand. Right. So, so somebody who is Egyptian, talk to me about what, 
I don't know, I guess stigma would, would be, would be the best word I could kind of go for it because, because, um, you know, spoiler alert, I'm not Egyptian. I don't know what it's like yeah, because, yeah. you know, I, I, uh, um, you know, I, I, I think I'm rambling here, but just talk, talk, talk to me about, about, um, the, the impacts, uh, on your, on your young childhood with, with sort of, uh, like well, race, I, like I, racial I've and ethnic been, stereotypes. I've always been super proud of being Egyptian. I think it's cool. To be honest, now that I'm older, women love just hearing that. It's a great, like, starter. But, like, I grew up going to Egypt every summer. I went to part of my uh, kindergarten in Egypt. Like, I went to school in Egypt for a little bit. I lived there for a large part of my, like, not a large part, but, like, close to half of, like, till the age of six or seven, I'd spend in Egypt. So, like, I was very immersed in the culture. You know, I am Muslim. I'm not a great practicing Muslim. But, nonetheless, I grew up with a sense of culture and religion. And um, I'm really proud of it. And what's funny, though, with the Sharif Taraki is, now that I'm older, I can own up to it. Like Rocky was me being able to hide that I'm Egyptian, that I'm Muslim. You know, I'm like, I am tan colored skin. Like you can look at me and go, Oh, he's probably exotic somewhere, but you won't assume I could be Spanish. I've been called every type of Latin American. I've been called several, you know, other like random. They're like, Oh, are you like Portuguese? I'm like, no. Like, so I've always, I've always looked that way, but I look white enough. So when I got the name Rocky, I was like, Oh, I don't have to talk about me being weird. I can just be like everyone else. I can just be good at sports. I can just be athletic. I can just be like doing kind of like what white people accepted at the time. But as an Egyptian, I've always been super proud of it. Like my full name, Sharif Amro Muhammad Fikri Abdullah Hedi El Gogari. And I think that's so cool. And like, that's who I am. I'm very proud of it. I'm proud of my, my dad's family, like who they are. Like, yeah, they're Muslim. And like they, a lot of them do cover their faces and their hair and like, they're just awesome people to me. Like when you, when you take away the objectivity of it, like they're just good people. And I've always been really proud to be a part of that and to be around like that culture growing up. I think it's how I became who I am today. You know, like I grew up with the sense of community and family being Egyptian and empathy and sympathy and hugs and crying and yelling, strong emotion and being just like having love around all the time. I grew up with that. And then I think I give that, I've been able to like bring it in and give it to the people around me. And I think that's why partially I think some people want to be around me and I've been able to have great friends and great relationships. So you, so you were born in Egypt? No, my parents were smart. They had me here. Yeah. And then when I was like a couple months old, I went over there for a couple months and then back and forth um, just so I could have American citizenship. But like my mom is a full American. So okay. what's your, what is your, uh, your native language then? My native language is English, but like I speak Arabic pretty flu- pretty fluently. Like there, there's like if we got into, if I got into a business room, there's obviously terms I've just never heard before. But like I could, you know, I can speak Arabic as well as I need to. Uh, if there's if there's one place in Egypt that people should visit other than Cairo, or, or I think I think when everybody instantly the Egypt, it's like ooh Cairo, the pyramids. But what's what's one location? What's one location um, in Egypt that, that you think doesn't get the love or respect that it deserves? Well, people, PSA to all people, Egypt has the most beautiful beaches in the world. Like, I grew up, like, I'm not, I'm going to sound pompous as hell here, but like, the Jersey Shore has nothing on the Red Sea, on the Mediterranean Sea, on like, the, the, the what's the other sea that's in the south of Egypt? But like, if I had to give a place, um, the north coast of Egypt is called Sahel Shemel. So it's like, it's literally hundreds of miles of beach coast 
where one half's the Mediterranean Sea and one half's the Red Sea. So like the water's crystal clear. There's no crazy pollution getting into it. So it's one of the cleanest beaches in the world. In Egypt, drinking's not a big thing. Drugs aren't a huge thing. So like there's not like, you know, it's not like a gross, trashy beach. Like it's amazing. And the sand is almost pure white in some areas. The water's clear. There's like beautiful fishies everywhere. No seaweed. You can, there's one beach I went to, like you could walk out three quarters of a mile and the water still only got to like your belly. So like, you know, I just tell people all the time, there's more to Egypt than one Cairo, two pyramids and three sand. There is a lot of sand. There are pyramids and Cairo is, Cairo's literally like New York, but everyone's a little bit darker. What is the biggest uh, misconception you think about, about Egypt? I'd say that like people assume because Egyptians don't drink that they're not fun. You know, like uh, 90, I think 93 to 95% of Egypt is Muslim. And like some people break the rules in Egypt as well. Like some people drink and whatnot, but like the best times I've had in my life were completely sober in Egypt. Like with just, cause they don't need alcohol to have fun. They don't like there, there is no alcohol to have fun. So they just have to have fun on their own. Uh, so like, weddings in egypt even though there's no alcohol they're the most fun in the world so i think the misconception is like egyptians are the most fun people in the world without alcohol and also they're not terrorists that i might have to just throw that one back out there there's probably bad people in egypt there's probably bad people in a lot of countries there's also bad americans there's a lot of bad you know you can't can't you can't put people in a box until you meet that right and i think i it's weird right because we grew up barely really knowing what like 9-11 was right yeah i can 100%. i you know i was going on seven it was a couple months before i turned seven you would have what been in kindergarten yep i was five or six at the time right so you know i i think in later years and, and i'm still trying to wrap my mind around the fact that you know 20 years almost like that's nuts yeah. um but the I can only I can't even imagine rather the stigma that was around in the immediate aftermath, right? Because because this because the country's never seen anything like that, and 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 I, I, I don't mean to, to dwell on that, but it's just it's something that's always that's always fascinated me, I guess, in the sense that from not from I think from as as a young kid, like I would always brush it off, like oh there isn't you know there like racism exists, I get it, but like you know I think it's because I I didn't see it as often. It wasn't something that I that I connected with. Right? Yeah, no, and and I can even say like, not to talk about the brand and stuff, but like, that's where I got a sense of empathy for me, myself, and other people. And like, if I thought my stigma was bad, I could at least hide it. When I turned thirteen or fourteen, I became rocky. I got good at sports. I became like really fluid at communicating and talking to people. I got very confident. Like, other people don't have that option. You know what I mean? Like, especially like. Like, a, a, for example, like a black person goes through so much more stigma on a day-to-day basis than I ever would. So like, yes, I felt like I had a struggle, but I could never compare it to like, literally, like we all say, our, like, I literally know, I have friends' parents who are great people who are just, they're a little racist. They were raised a certain way. And as a, like, they don't think anything of me because I look white enough. Other people don't have that opportunity, you know, especially, and then like you talk about the LGBTQ community, like those people are being chastised for everything all the time. It's literally, it's just who they, who they want to bang. Like that is not like, to me, it's just like, dude, 
leave them like leave everyone alone if no one's doing harm to you like let them let them be as happy as they want to be like they're not they're not they're not taking from you you know what i mean mm-hmm. so like the stigmas i had from 9-11 are so minuscule though compared to those people and like i've really been able to grow up and like i often feel overly empathetic for other people because i'm like if that was bad for me how bad is it for you like i have anxiety but like i'm manic so i have manic anxiety it happens seldomly i have high highs and low lows other people are like they're depressed all the time you know there are other people who have who have anxiety every day of their lives so like yes it's bad for me but like i cannot even fathom how bad it is for other people and i think like although i'm like mad that people called me like a terrorist and towelhead and stuff like that i know i still didn't have it nearly as bad as other people and then it just i was able to grow up thinking that way and i think it's it's helped me create a lot of like have a lot of honest conversations with people you know like those tough conversations that we like kind of avoid or cringe at like i've been able to have them because i'm like yo i want to hear your story you know what i mean i want and i want to know how you felt so that like i can understand you and i think if a lot of people got on that wave we just we'd be doing a lot better we got a little serious there and now i'll just do the money <laughs> we'll do the monty python thing and i'll just be like now on to something completely different um uh talk to me about high school rocky because i can only imagine high school rocky was a uh a rambunctious ball of energy that's that's what he was he i was everywhere in high school i i wasn't like mr popular or but i was just fr- i had i had my hand in everyone like i had, I had friends everywhere i didn't do a great job of like be, i didn't have like a group necessarily all the time but i was bouncing around i was always so busy and rambunctious to myself i was like in high school i was like a d1 recruit for playing soccer i had a ton of my life went to that i was Am I allowed to say like things I can get in trouble for? Uh, I mean, I, 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 well, they're they're the past, so I'm allowed to say I'm right. I'm... All right, I I I I smoked a ton of weed in high school, and like as like a D, as like a top athlete at my school in multiple sports, as like the vice president of my class, as as all these things, I was just getting high a bunch, and it, I like it was fine. It was like. I wasn't hurting anyone. We would never like smoke and drive or like be awful. I would just smoke a fair bit. So like that was part of who I was. And like now I don't smoke anymore, period. I do not like, I haven't smoked weed in 2020 yet. Not saying I won't, but like I haven't done it. I don't really smoke anymore. I've always had control over it in my life, but I was kind of a pothead athlete. That was like a stereotype around me. I was a partier in high school. I got into it pretty young. Um, It was a ton of fun. My biggest regret to high school is I wasn't I went to Wilson High School where there's a certain stigma it's a large school a lot of money I was not in that a lot of money category and I also wasn't good at like kissing people's asses uh even though my mom was super involved with the school but like I got in trouble a fair bit like I got suspended for wearing a dress I got suspended for refusing to take off a tank top um I missed somewhere around 140 days of school throughout my high school career it's not like i I just didn't show up i was like i just i had a a health issue at one point and then my mom's always been pretty cool about like yo you need she would call it a pto day you know pay time off stay home you catch up on your homework you relax you get a day and then you start it all again tomorrow Um, my family also like my mom's big on like traveling so i I let my mom be like hey is everyone doing all right in school all right, well, we're going to take Thursday and Friday off. We're going to the beach. And my mom, like all, all me and my siblings have really had pretty 
good grades. Like I said, I got my first B in ninth or 10th grade. My younger brother uh, was nearly the valid Victorian of his class. My sister got a bunch of academic scholarships to go to Shippenburg. My youngest brother's above a 3-4. Like, we're fine. And it just kind of shows that schools, how important really is going to school every day. That's, and I think during this quarantine, we're starting to notice that a little bit. So. What, what led you to Temple? Nothing. I went to Alvernia first. And I went to Alvernia to play soccer. I had talks with the coach at Temple before I went to Alvernia. So that was my, my D1 in. Uh, he told me like, hey, you know, you could come to the team, but you'd essentially be a walk-on. You'd probably make the team. And I was like, oh, I don't want to go all the way to Temple and maybe not play. So I decided to go to Alvernia. I didn't want to go to college, period. But I decided to go to Alvernia. I was a starting forward there. I loved the soccer team there. I had a great freshman year. I have, I believe, the freshman goal record at Alvernia. I might not anymore. But, like, I, it was only, like, eight or, nine, eight or nine goals. But, like, as a freshman, I still scored a bunch. Like, I had a ton of fun. But Alvernia is a school with about 3,000 kids. It was 20 minutes from my house. I was living off on campus for half for, during the soccer season. And then the second half of the semester, I was, like, commuting. But I ended up just sneaking on campus for a whole semester. Um, so I went to Alvernia and I just realized that I needed to do something bigger, not, no, not to discredit Alvernia at all, but like I needed to get out of Reading. I needed to get out of the mindset I was in. That's when I started to become very who I am now, you know, focused, directed, lots of ideas. Um, and then I ended up at Temple and there was an awesome three and a half years. Um, but I met a lot. I don't really credit the school for too much. I'll be honest. I credit my experience and being like thrown into the city of Philly and having to figure it out. Um, and I also like, I fractured my skull in my last soccer game at Alvernia and I knew I probably wasn't going to play collegiate soccer at least for six to 12 months. So like when you have a severe head injury like that, you're like, Hey, I'm probably not gonna play soccer for a while. So I decided, Hey, if I'm not playing soccer at Alvernia, I don't really want to stay there. I transferred to Temple. And here I am five and a half years later with two degrees, two minors. You got the degrees, man. Hey, uh, B's and C's get degrees. I think that's the phrase. So you. <laughs> hey, man, as, we got this far. That's all I said. And listen, yeah. as somebody as somebody who played soccer in, in, I played youth soccer for five, six, seven years, and um, I consider myself a great defender. <laughs> okay. Could never score a goal. Just like when I played baseball, uh, great in the field sucked on offense. So, uh, oh, I heard I had, I, I chuckled and turned inside when I was like, he was like, I, I had the freshman record. It's only eight or nine goals. I'm like, that's a lot. Like, yes. <laughs> I consider that, I consider that like a lot of goals. Like I, I, when I hear stats every once in a while of like, uh, like Messi in, in across his, cl- across his club team and his national team appearances, he's hundreds of goals. Right. And I, I literally just like, it's, it's, it's like the, the, uh, like there's an episode of family guy, where Brian sees, I think, Lois, and she's really, really attractive, and he has the hots for her, so his jaw just drops to the table. So that <laughs> I know the exact scene too. So that's me, like when I hear them, like, oh, he scores like hundred, like you know, hundred, hundred goals between between his club and his national team, and I'm like, wait, but he then that also means he scored like forty or fifty goals for one team. That's that's insane to me. Yeah, dude, it's and soccer is a weird sport. So I, I'm blessed. Like, I think the only sport I'm not good at 
and I mean this from like I can I can hang with people at every sport except for baseball. I just I have a couple of head injuries. I got kind of a delayed reaction. I get I get a little ADHD in the outfield. Um, it's the only sport where like I I don't have a shot. It's not don't pick me. Even if it's like backyard baseball, like softball, don't pick me. I you know I let, just give me give me a rolling rock and I'll cheer on the side. <laughs> you're the team. You're, you're the team mascot, right? right? I would love, like, if I had to be on a baseball team, can I be, like, I don't even know how many starters are in baseball, but can I be, like, the 16th guy? Not even, like, the 13th, 14th. I want to be the 16th guy. Okay. I just want to be on the bench. I want to be with the guys. I want to be with the team. I want to celebrate. I want to hug when we lose. Don't put me out there. So you're perfectly okay with being a bench warmer in baseball is what you're saying? I would, I would, I would, I would pay to be a bench warmer in baseball. Are you kidding me? I always had to laugh. I always laughed like when we would do our, our sports takes throughout high school and college because people would make fun of uh, like like NFL players, for example, like, oh, this guy is a third string quarterback on this really good team with a with a with a Hall of Fame quarterback. Like 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 if, if you were a backup for the New England Patriots in the last 20 years, yeah, you're probably not going to play because you're playing with the greatest quarterback of all time. However, I will say this. You are still making... A couple of million dollars to sit and do nothing. To go to practice and to and be to stay, ready. And, and to stay in shape. And to stay hey, in shape. Well, who, was, who was the, uh, when Pat Mahomes went down, Andy Reid called the guy. He wasn't even on the practice. Um, that was Matt Moore. Matt Moore. He was like, hey, Patrick Mahomes went down. I haven't even been paying you thus far. You want to play football next week? And he was like, yeah, I've been in shape. I'll play football for you, Andy Reid. And he came and I think he went four and two. Like, he had a decent record. That is the dream. Hey, I don't even have to pretend to be part of the team. Someone went down and you know I'm your backup guy. Give me a call. That's like I I I envy Matt Moore. Are you kidding me? I can That's also awesome. I can also tie that back to uh, a bit of a connection for you because one of the other quarterbacks on the Kansas City Chiefs who was out injured at that time is Wilson High School alum and former University of Michigan All-American Chad Henney. Chad Henney, man. I met the dude once. Really? He was sweet to me. He was just like nice. He wasn't famous yet at the time. I was young. He was probably a freshman in college, maybe a senior in high school. Like I didn't know the, who, if he, who he was or what he was going to be. And like to be honest, like, like you said, he made it to the NFL. That means at strictly the quarterback position, he is one of the best 100 quarterbacks in the country. Like he's in the 100. There's 30, 300 million. 330 million people in this country. There are a hundred people in the caliber he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, dude, kudos to you. I don't care if you're fourth string. I don't care if you're a practice squad guy. Congrats to you. And that's why I hate talking about the Eagles and about their wide receiver situation. Cause like, dude, yes, they're not the greatest people in the world, but guess what? They're still really good athletes. Sure. Yes. Do I think like getting rid of Nelson Aguilar is a great idea because the man couldn't catch a hot potato. Yeah. He showed that he can't catch potatoes. He's like, oh, man, I dropped it. Like, nah, yeah, you can get rid of people who can't catch a ball. But there are other athletes, and they're not top-tier guys that you can pay a lot less money who will literally just catch the ball. So that's my rant. I'm Go Birds. Just, I said it. Uh, Chad Henney is also responsible for one of the most heartbreaking moments of a young Jake Zimmer's life. Uh, 2005, a young, almost 11-year-old potato. That was me. Um, Penn State is my favorite college football team. At the time, they were ranked number three, number two or number three in the country. Mm-hmm. 
they had a legitimate chance to maybe make it to the national championship game. They had some amazing players. That was one of my favorite eras of Penn State football since I've been a Penn State fan. End of the game. No time left. Penn State leads 24 to 20. Chad Henney finds a receiver back of the end zone and Michigan wins 26-24 and breaks young Jake Zimmer's heart. <laughs> the one, it's the one thing. Like I adopted the Lehigh Valley as my home when I went to college out there, right? So like and obviously yourself and the Reading fam, I'm friends with all of you guys, right? But you can't forgive him. You can't forgive him. Screw you, Chad Henny. I can't forgive you. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I'm fine. I'm fine. I promise. Um, let's um, let's talk about. I'm happy you're alive. So I remember we've we've known each other now for three three years, three four years. Four years. I met you post my first real breakup. That's I how I the eras of my life. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> um, yay! Anyway. <laughs> I'm sorry. I shouldn't laugh. Oh, it's, 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 it's life is, life is a comedy. You gotta laugh through it. Um, so we, we met, I guess, uh, four, four years ago and, um, we, um, instant, instant, uh, connection and uh, an easy friendship formed between you and I, I would say. Um, and over time, um, I think it's pretty much been over the past year, year and a half has, has been sort of, you posting uh, on Twitter, great follow on Twitter, by the way. Um, Thank you. Um, you would, you would, you know, tweet about. You, I, I would love your tweets because you would, you would always be like, um, you know, just, just tweet something, just random, random stuff, right? I think it's fair to say. But then, if every, every once in a while, you would always end your tweets with "I'm happy you're alive," which, obviously. Uh, over the past several years, mental health has become such a big talking point in this country. Um, and then eventually, uh, I you've created another Twitter account, and then I got saw the name at I'm Happy You're Alive. And initially, I thought this was just oh, okay, cool. Rocky's starting. You know, he wants to spread spread positive energy. Cool, I get it. And then I started to see the T-shirts and the apparel and everything else. Talk to me about. Um, what gave you the idea, the passion to start this brand and, and why, why it's so, uh, why it's so important to you? It's a lot. Um, and to be honest, this is something like I still am working on like the truths to it, but I know that the, the start of I'm happy alive was, um, I had people in my life that I really cared about, um, that I saw how much they struggled with their mental health, you know, being, having suicidal thoughts, having extreme depression, extreme anxiety. And like, I wasn't able to be good enough to them. I didn't know how to handle them. I didn't know what they needed. So I always felt like I wasn't doing enough for them. Not understanding that like mental health was a serious thing that they couldn't just go be happy. You know what I mean? Like they, it wasn't like a choice for them. Um, and so like, as I said, I was like a very, in high school, I started having like my first panic attacks and I, I my first signs of anxiety. And people don't think because I'm so exuberant and energetic that like I have anxiety, but you know, I do. Um, actually, like I, I'm very comfortable talking about it because it's who I am. But like I had a panic attack within the past 48 hours. And like, that's why I didn't drive back home to Maniunk or Philadelphia. I stayed at Reading because I had a panic attack, didn't feel comfortable driving, stayed at a friend's house just to like stay calm down. Like 
to be honest, like I ruined a Friday night, you know what I mean? Because like I had a panic attack, there was nothing I could do about it. And like my friends took care of me about it. But like those moments happened to me. And like I said, my moments are small. I only have anxiety attacks seldomly, you know, through this whole quarantine and pandemic, I've been having them more and more because I feel like, you know, there's so much more to be anxious about. I'm, I'm on the edge. Um, but there are people who have it absolutely way worse than me, who experience way worse things than me, who have really dark thoughts, who can't get out of spiralings. Like I'll spiral and then once I'm over it, I'm over it and I can just continue my life. Some people don't get that opportunity. So I had these people in my life. I started writing, I'm happy you're alive on just, I would start, te- I started texting it to a couple of people. Then I started writing it on my hat because I used to do this thing where I would buy plain hats. They're like five to six bucks at Walmart and I would write on them. And I used to do funny stuff. Like I had a future Delph hat. Uh, it was a jean future Delph hat. And I had like hats that I wanted without me talking to someone, you could read something about me. And I love that idea. So I started writing things like I seek more. Um, I love you with the love having a line through it. So like people would see a message on me without talking to me. And then I started writing, I'm happier live on hats. And fun fact, I wore that hat up to Penn state. And so I had a, like, I, became friends with a bunch of people just from wearing the hat They're like oh dude i'm happy that's fucking awesome like that's awesome dude and i was like yeah thanks man they're like oh tell us about it i was like oh like you know just like i think people need some positivity in the world and like in that moment i was a little drunk or whatever but like that's where it comes from like if i do nothing else today like it's to say i'm happy alive to one person is like a pretty good thing to do like if you have no productivity in a day if you're just you help someone be less sad in a day like that's not a bad day and then i started realizing like if i put this out more. And if I start being positive, I started feeling better as a human being, you know, me feeling less depressed, me having less anxiety attacks. I just felt like if I could put good in the world. And I, even if I was like, like you said, I was just tweeting long thoughts and then I would end it with, I'm happy alive. And people were like, yo, that's really cool. Thanks for tweeting these nice things. Like, you know, I, I follow you because it's nice. At the time I like, it was just words. And then Quarantine happened, pandemic happened, my anxiety got worse. The people that I cared about aren't really in my life anymore, but I was thinking about them all the time. And I was like, well, if I'm not communicating with them and I can't help them, how can I just help in general, help the world? So then I was like, you know what? I uh, got temporarily laid off from my job. Um, I didn't want to just sit around and just look at the toxic internet and all the negativity. I was so tired because everyone when the pandemic started was like, screw these people, but screw these people. But F this. It's just, there was so much negativity, so much uncertainty. I was like, Hey, I want to start a brand or a concept or a message that spreads the opposite of that. Um, John Krasinski started a a YouTube channel called some good news. I remember that was like, yo, like I want to be something like that. We're like, everyone's talking about everyone's swimming this way. talking about the negativities. I'm going to swim the other way and start talking about positive stuff. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that life is awesome. And, you know, you're supposed to, you're supposed to just like smile your way through life. Like life, life is tough. Life isn't easy, but like, I'm going to put my arm around Jake Zimmers after a couple of brews around a fire. And I'm going to go, yo man, I'm happy you're alive. <laughs> and like, it's my equivalent to saying, I love you to people without it being as intense. You know, like the other, last night I was looking to have a bonfire, you know, social distancing bonfire with some friends. And like, there was that moment you're just kind of laughing, catching up. And I'm like, oh man, I'm happy you guys are alive. And like, I want that to be like a new norm and I want people to walk by someone in an I'm happy life shirt and just like, you don't know what anyone's going through. So like, look at the shirt and be like, huh, thanks man. And so if you know the start of Barstool Sports, do you? Yeah. So like they started with, you know, 
a newspaper company that wasn't really blowing up. So they were hosting events. Like that's the track I want to follow of like, I don't have a newspaper, but I have social media accounts that like, Hey, get on board. We're just doing something positive. Buy a shirt, be a part of what we're trying to do. People are like, how can I help? Like, dude, just spread the message, right? I'm happy you're live on a sidewalk chalk, you know, put a sticker on a stop sign, like tell it to someone, wear the shirt. And if you think about it, if you wear the shirt in public and you see 50 people or five people read it, you made five people like have one warm moment and it could be bigger. So the, the objective with this is to have events and to have like continue to grow. And obviously with the quarantine, it's a little hard, but people like-minded people who just want to be a part of positivity, who understand struggle, who understand caring about each other, who are doing their best to be happy, who you know aren't going to be people you're afraid to be around. The objective is to get those people together and create kind of like a following. So that's, that's where I wanted to go. And also like I've been, uh, the money I raised, I've been donating. So the first month I gave 20 masks to a foster home up in Allentown. And like I made them CDC approved masks that say I'm happy alive and a bunch of foster families got them. And like, if I don't care if I'm rich, but I'd like to be, don't get me wrong. Um, if I can keep doing good stuff like that and supporting myself, I have a life that's worth living in. You said something really interesting there, and it's and something I never really thought of was was the fact that I think as kids, we're we're always taught about like not judging a book by its cover and really getting to know the person, which which is which is true, obviously. But um, I like I like what what you kind of had there about just you know you want to give the positive vibes if somebody just sees you, whether you're you know walking down the street in Philly or if you're at a Royals game in Reading, like they see, like, I'm happy you're alive on the t-shirt or they see I'm happy you're alive on the hat. And it's, it's, I think it's noble in the fact that you want to instantly just spread like that message. Like even if it's some stranger from upstate New York, right, yeah. that you'll never, you'll never meet, you'll never talk to, you probably will never see them again. But you know, even wearing something like that can really have such, um, such positive impact on, on, on people's lives. And I think that's, um, it's something I truly never thought of. So, I mean, kudos to you, man, this, um, what you've been doing, I think has been really, really cool. Um, you mentioned, uh, the shirts you've mentioned, uh, donating masks. Um, and it's basically been over the past, over the past few months, we're really in, in 2020 that this is, this has started, uh, started to kick off. Um, where it's it's weird to ask this question in such a crazy time that we live in right now. Everybody is pretty much inside. Some of us, um, myself included, are slowly starting to get back to work. Um, yep. You know what? What do you envision for the brand as as the year uh, progresses? Well, I'm I'm really lucky. So I, the account, the domain, everything I bought started on four twenty. But it was just a funny day. Like I didn't smoke that day. And I was like, I should do something productive. And I was like, I'm going to officially start the brand. I'm going to get the domain names, Instagrams, the Twitters. I'm going to work on getting the copyrights. So this has only been a thing for less than a month. Um, and I'm really lucky. Like I have a couple thousand followers. I've had, I've created a decent amount of online red, like revenue. Um, uh, not a ton of like profit yet, but I, I'm okay with that. Um, where I want to see it go though, is I've had uh, a, like, I've had some fun people reach out to me um, because I think what's really beautiful for me to see is people want to be a part of something good right now, you know, um, whether it be spiritually, religiously, or just because you feel like there's so much negativity, you want to, again, swim against the grain. A lot of people reach out to me with a couple of cool opportunities. I've had some larger online brands 
uh, asked me to, you know, give them bulk amount of the shirt to put on their social medias. And I'm not really about that, not because of revenues and prices, prices, but because I want to have as much interaction with the brand as I can. Um, so I don't know if I'm going to go that route. Obviously, that's the financially smart route, but I don't think I'm going to do that. I'm really lucky. I have a couple like local friends and vendors when uh, shops start opening up again. Uh, like boutiques have offered like two different boutiques, one in West Reading, one in Maniung, have said like, hey, we'd be happy to put your shirts in our store. Uh, and like, that's really, really cool. I would like to, I got invited to go to a jazz festival in Savannah, Georgia um, in June or July for like an, a weekend to be one of the vendors there. And like, that's the type of things I would love to do to love to be a part of my brand um, because it's not a t-shirt company. I want it to be a brand, a message. Um, I just need a product so that I can afford to do good. Um, and I, I think having the shirts and the apparel is a really good thing. And um, so my goal is to travel around with it, um, to get into different, just random places, talk about what, like, what I'm passionate about with people and uh, just, just see where it goes from there. And the goal is to have, so I'm in my boxers, but I have Life is Good tattooed on my thigh. And uh, like, that's always been a brand that's meant a lot to me. And the objective is to get somewhere into that type of realm. And obviously that's a, that's a pipe dream, but hey, it's only a pipe dream if I don't make it happen. I say life is good. Life is good was what I thought of initially when when I started seeing that because and I remember reading the backstory on those guys like they started it and and then, and it was just the two of them you know little, I think just a silly silly design and it, and it yep. is one of the over the past what twenty twenty five thirty years it's been one of the biggest one of the biggest brands um, in apparel really yeah in a, in the U S especially especially like and what they did they they do a really good job of setting a feel up hey, life is good is like this fun, relaxed feel where I'm still learning how, how and what I'm happy life wants to be for me. And everyone can take it how they will. Some people will take it. Like I've gotten DMs where it's like, hey, I really appreciate what you're doing. I've had so-and-so commit suicide. And this brand is like a really nice reminder that like, this is my part to help those people because I didn't know how to help them before. And it's not always that deep. Like I said, it could be as playful and free-spirited though as saying, like, you know, being extra drunk on, with your buddy you know, around a fire and going, oh man, I'm happy you're alive. Or like, you know, like it can be both sides of it. And as a brand, you have, I'm creating a culture and creating like a, a style and a, a back vibe to it. And that's what I'm working on right now. But life is good has had a ton of influence on me. I hope one day I can talk to those guys and even I'm going to start reaching out to them. I'm, they have like competitions to give people starter money and I'm going to just see if I can get involved with that. Let's uh, let's talk about uh, the music before we get into the uh, before we get into the the, the, the album that we're going to review um, that has had a significant impact on your life. I want to know a little bit about the music that ha- that impacted you. So, if you could give me the five artists or bands that most relate to you. Okay. We're going to talk about him anyway, so I'm going to throw out Mac Miller very early on. We're going to put in Childish Gambino, a.k.a. Donald Glover. That only counts as one person, though. <laughs> um, oddly enough, the entire group of odd future Wolfgang Kill Them All. Uh, so, you know, you have the Tyler Craters, the Frank Oceans, the Earl Sweatshirts. I grouped them all together. Um, Billy Joel. And my fifth would be Brockhampton. Oh, okay. So, so a couple things here. So I immediately like all those choices and I'll tell you why. Um, 
in high school, uh, I grew up in an area that I was outside of suburban Harrisburg. Um, but, I'm so sorry. <laughs> hey, man, I love my area. Shout out to Susquehanna High School. Go Blackhawks. <laughs> anyway, um, um, I didn't listen to a lot of hip hop in high school, right? I was very much the classic rock that my dad grew me up on mixed with the up and coming alt metal hard rock scene of the mid to late 2000s. Bands like, um, still to this day, one of my favorite bands, Avenged Sevenfold. Saw them in concert in Reading two years ago. They were amazing. Um, That's awesome. On that same bill, two other bands that I listened to a lot, (laughs) Breaking Benjamin and um, Bullet For My Valentine. Okay. Um, Bullet for My Valentine with one of the best metal albums ever called uh, Scream Aim Fire. Tremendous record. Um, I didn't really listen to a lot of hip hop. Like I, my friends would, would put on like the, 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 the pop and hip hop stations in our area and I would be like, no, this music's gross. Why are we listening to this? And I knew like the big like bling hip hop and, and, and that kind of songs. And I was slowly getting into a little bit of Drake. Like if I, if, if I can reveal... Uh, a bit of a, a softer side to me is that one of my favorite guilty pleasure shows is Degrassi. And oh, that's so the initial seven year run in the early to mid two thousands where Drake was on that cast playing uh, Jimmy Brooks bound to his <laughs> bound to his wheelchair after he was shot by that terrible person, Rick, but I digress. Um <laughs> I remember just like one day reading online, like I get into Wikipedia, just deep dives. It's like, it's like a YouTube black hole. And I remember reading like, oh yeah, Drake. Okay. Yeah, that's cool. He's doing hip hop. That's awesome. And then 2008, 2009 comes around. Biggest artist in the game. Biggest. And for the past 10 years, even if his music's not great, he's the biggest artist in the game. He is popular for a reason. He's Drake and he's amazing. Yeah. Objectivity aside, like, he has done what all artists want to do and he's put out music, whether I love every song or not, he's put out the music that people want. You know, he's, if you, if you like look into Drake now and Drake should have been in my top five, because I'm a big Drake supporter, but I, I, I want to be authentic to, I, music for me is 50% the sound, 40% the, uh, the, uh, the people involved in it, like who they are. And then 10% where I'm at. Mm -hmm. So, like, Drake, to me, I just have never been a rich Canadian half-black person before. So I can't relate necessarily a ton to it. But, like, come on, the dudes. He's even tailoring his music to TikTok right now because he knows that's the the biggest, biggest, you know. Yeah. And the reason reason I bring up Drake is because that was one of the bigger hip-hop artists for our generation. Um, And among them, doing my YouTube deep dives, I remember seeing – this white kid from Pittsburgh named Mac, <laughs> named Mac Miller. And I, I, I'm trying to remember the first song I think I ever heard from him. The first thing I ever saw of him was the music video for, for which th- to this day is one of my favorite songs by him. I really, I, I'm guessing what you're going to say. So. I want you to take a guess what you think it is. Is it Senior Skip Day? No. Oh, no! I didn't know. Here's the thing. I didn't know any Mac Miller Pre Blue Slide Park. Okay. So one of the biggest songs off of that album was Smile Back. And when I heard that slow intro, and then you heard the guitar come in, and then he and he his flow on that song is incredible. Um, And then eventually I heard songs um, like Donald Trump 
and I, um, you know, I knock knock, of course, which is on the, the album we're going to talk about. Which, which I found it weird that a dude, a, a song from a rapper from Pittsburgh, was used as a hype song for the Philadelphia Flyers. Like that was yeah. really, that was really weird. But, um, but yeah, like uh, that was like my slow introduction to, to like hip hop by, by Mac. So, um, so, okay, so, so I went on a tangent about Mac. So, so there's, you see, so you mentioned Mac Miller, um, Odd Future, right? Um, I will say that early, I would say Tyler, the creator for me, pre Flower Boy is underrated, is underrated. And I'll tell you why, because I get that the content was vulgar. I understand it was not radio friendly. Listen to, look at the lyrics for the show, for the song Yonkers. Um, One of my favorite songs of his that nobody talks about is on his album Wolf uh, called IFHY featuring, featuring, yeah, featuring Pharrell. Um, have you seen the music video for that? Yes, and it's one of the best music videos I've ever it's seen. So cool. Pharrell's just in the background doing like a slow two-stopper, and it's like, what? Like you got Pharrell, one of the greatest producers of all time, and that's where people, like you said, they took Tyler for the shock value BS, and mm-hmm. like they were like, oh, he's homophobic, he's all these things. Like Tyler Crater is, I'm pretty sure, openly gay, at least bisexual right now. I, I think I think bisexual because I think he's made reference to it in his music, which is ironic because several of his songs pre flower boy were very, we'll just, we'll just call it what it is. They were very homophobic. Yeah. And people, people were like the shock value, this, that, but Pharrell, one of the greatest music minds was like, no, I see through that. Let me mentor you through cherry bomb, through wolf, through, uh, this is not called glitter. What's the most recent album called? Uh, Igor. Igor. No, the one with the bees on it. Oh, that's flower boy. Flower Boy, like through those four albums, Pharrell's been producing on all of them. And to say that Tyler Crater isn't at least gifted at, and as an entertainer, you're silly. He's not a great freestyle rapper. Like he admits that I, I've tried to sell people on. No, he's just super fun. Like he's not a great freestyle rapper, but like I think he's a phenomenal storyteller too. Like I feel something when I listen to Tyler Crater and the old Odd Futures. And that's what they did best. Um, so Billy Joel is something I was not expecting just because I, you, every time you and I have, have spent time together, it's been either hip hop or, or us. No, no, it's, it's good. It's good. Um, us listening to like the, the pop punk bands of our, uh, of our youth. I can't believe I didn't add any pop punk bands like Hobo Johnson and, uh, I don't even consider Hobo Johnson, but Hobo Johnson and like the front bottoms, they get asterisks like in my top 10. It's mad. It's funny though that you mentioned Billy Joel because um, at the time of recording this, the episode that came out this past Friday, um, I sat down with uh, Mike Ventola from who's the radio voice for the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs. And um, we ended up reviewing Billy Joel's album Turnstiles, which um, I... And again, I'm a I'm very much for the most part a classic rock big hits guy. So I knew a bunch of big songs from, you know, say Piano Man, right? That Piano Man's one of his I would say arguably could be one of his biggest records, if not his biggest record. I, I think that is his biggest record. But God, if Turnstiles doesn't have some bops, there's some there's some jams on that album. And uh it was great like being able to to uh to review that album. Uh, kind of because that, that came out, it was released 
I think either right before or during my parents' senior year of high school. Really? In 1976, yes. So that was that was their like that was their moment. That was their music. Their yeah, their I wish I could have grown up with that music, like that era of music, 70s into the 80s, just because that music was amazing. Um, I, I, so, so, so Mac, uh, Odd Future, Billy Joel. Um, the last one I want to save, I forget who the fourth one was you threw in there. Um, I want to talk about Brockhampton in a second, but um, um, screw it. I'll talk about it now. I have fallen in love with Brockhampton lately. I love it. I love it, Brockhampton. I don't know if you watch any reviews from The Needle Drop, Anthony Fantano. Um, no. He loves Brockhampton. And I saw, I always saw him like we reviewing all their albums and I'm like, what's, what's, what's the big deal about Brockhampton? Like, I don't, I don't get it. Like I've not, I, 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 I never listened to their music and I just went to YouTube one day and just typed Brockhampton. And the first song that popped up was gold off of, off of the first saturation. It's the first saturation. Yep. Which was a great introduction to those guys because golly, if that song isn't amazing, um, I feel weird listening to any song off of the saturation series now because of the, um, the stories the split up. The, with Amir. Yeah. But like one of the songs I've been bopping lately and it's the first, it's the first song on saturation one. Um, the song heat. Oh, which the beat, the beat is fire. Amir's yeah. verse is amazing. Kevin abstract isn't even on that song. Yeah. Um, but like <laughs> Jabba has one of my favorite lyrics that I've heard in hip hop in, in, in quite a long time, which, um, was when his, his little screaming part where I think he was doing his best, uh, six, nine impression. And <laughs> he, um, he was, uh, I think the, the lyric was, uh, like f you, I'll break your neck so you can watch your back. I don't know yeah. why, but when I heard that lyric, I was like, that resonated with me because I was, I was like, you that. felt it, yeah you, yeah, you got it in the soul there. And then Matt Champion ended the song with one of the sickest verses. Like his flow is amazing, and um, I haven't heard much in the post Amir Brockhampton world. That is well, that's funny. I would have the second album I would have picked because I do try to respect my favorite music is the music that most recently resonates with me. So like Ginger would have been the next album I pick because mm -hmm. I love the concept that like my most played artist on Spotify in 2019 was Dominic Fike. Dominic Fike was featured with Brockhampton on three songs for Saturation 3 and the Ginger album. So like Dominic Fike's not even a, a huge artist. He was just featured, and I found him and fell in love with him. You know, same thing. There's uh, this girl named uh, Deb Never. She's a vocalist for Brockhampton. You know, uh, Slow Tie, who does an entire song for Brockhampton, like one of their one of their like interlude songs. Like I think that that's so beautiful. They just meet like-minded, cool individuals, flow with the room, create an album, create a song, and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I I. The Brockhampton idea, I, I'm a huge Kevin Abstract supporter. I, am, I think it's so cool that he's like openly a gay black rapper. He's like breaking molds. He's, he's entirely himself. He's super honest about his emotions and anxiety. But he said like Brockhampton is an idea. And in a couple years, if none of the current members of Brockhampton aren't on it and they're all doing their own thing, Brockhampton will still exist just with new members. 
And I think that that is a beautiful music, like, culture. Like, yo, like, if Kevin starts doing his own thing, maybe then someone steps as, as, like, the new leader, or they go into, like, a divided roles thing. Or, like, you know, maybe they start tailoring their music a little more towards Jabba or Matt Champion or um, who's the guy with the long hair? I can't think of his name right now. Uh, well, Jabba did have long hair before he cut it. Um, bare- Jabba's the one. Uh, Bareface. Like, Bareface is an incredible vocalist. And, like, it's so cool that they're from all over the country, all over the world. Like, and they just met together through music and concepts. And I, I love that. And, if, like I said, 50% is the music, 40% is the people, 10% is the feeling. 40%, like, I love Brockhampton more than anything. I think that's beautiful. Yeah, the, uh, the, other, the other song of theirs I've been bumping lately off of Iridescence was um, the song, the, the opening track on Iridescence called New Orleans. Yeah. Um, the beat is very, very simple, but everybody brings, um, you know, uh, I, I never realized, too, that Jaden Smith also has, like, an uncredited vocal part in that so song. So does Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> like, that's incredible. Like, um, like again, like, Matt, Matt's verse in that song is awesome. I love Kevin's um, chorus in that song. The lyrics he was he was writing down. Um, I thought Don, Dom McLennan's opening. Dom McLennan's a great lyrical rapper, right? And um, yeah, I mean it. J- Jabba came in after Matt Champion's verse and was just like. He had the one lyric about like I'll be throwing hail marys till I die, and I, and I was just like that was I was. His entire verse, I was like, "Oh my, what is what? What?" When he when he starts rapping, you start to like you're blown away because he's such a great vocalist. And then he starts; it's incredible. My favorite line off the Iridescence album is when they're like singing, like almost in hymns at the end of I can't remember what song it is, and they're like, "I want more out of life than this," and like that hit me. Like I I tweeted that at least five times in my life. Like you get through these moments, and you're, you get in your life and. You feel like you're only, you know, halfway there and you're like, there has to be more to everything. There has to be more of a reason that I'm here. And like, then they sang it and I, I just felt it. Oh man, that hit me good. The moral of the story, friends, is to go to Spotify and listen to Brockhampton because they're amazing. Um, <laughs> so Rocky, we have talked about life. We have talked about sports. We have talked about, um, we've talked about a lot of different things and most importantly in the past Five minutes we've talked about Brockhampton. Um, but um, I want to focus on the album that we are going to review today. Um, an album that I had never heard before uh, when you gave it to me. And we already mentioned the artist. It was Mac Miller. But talk to me about uh, the album, or in this case, the mixtape you chose. Uh, why you said First off, RIP Mac Miller. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. We talked about mental health and all that stuff. Mac Miller was a great, pure human being. And I respected him and I loved him and I idolized him. I wanted to be him. If you go on my Facebook, there's pictures of me with backwards hats, braces, and a book bag. Because Mac Miller, like that was his look in the beginning of his career. The Kids album was, Kids stands for Kicking It Incredibly Dope-ish. So like, that's so cool to me. Already the acronym. Um, Mac Miller, though, to be honest, lyrically, it's not the most phenomenal album I've ever heard. The music is mostly stolen beats. He steals a couple, you know, not steals because that's right, it's a mixtape though. He took beats and he was reusing stuff and recycling stuff. But like, it fit exactly where I was in my life. He was 
a couple years older than me, maybe like two years older than me. I found his music a couple months after he released it. So I'm a senior or junior in high school and everything he's rapping about correlated to what I was doing. You know, like sneaking, sneaking alcohol to your parents' houses, going and driving and smoking weed with your friends, trying to be rich, trying to get hot girls to think you're cool. Like sports, like he talked about, excuse me, he talked about it all. And especially him being from Pittsburgh, I felt like an allegiance of like, yo, this person, excuse me, I burped. Like this guy is near me. Like this guy is, he's attainable. Like the rapping he was doing wasn't so lyrically great where I felt like I could be Mac Miller. And I, I could feel like Mac Miller. And he was so pure. Like when I think of Mac Miller before he died, like there are these really pure moments where he's like, he's on tiny desk and he goes, music, man, what a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. Or like all his interludes, like it was so upbeat and happy and pure. And like, when I think back to high school, like I love that time. And the Mac Miller soundtrack kids, different songs play at different moments and have different memories for me. And it has always shaped me into who I am. So the kids album has just done it all for me. You've heard Rocky address the album. And before we get into talking about it, let me give a little bit of background. Kids standing for kicking incredibly dope dish is the fourth mixtape released by Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania rapper, singer, songwriter, and producer, Malcolm James McCormick, AKA Mac Miller. The project was released on August 13th, 2010 on Rostrum Records. Prior to the release of Kids, Miller had released three solo mixtapes. 2007's But My Mac and Ain't Easy, released under the pseudonym Easy Mac, 2009's The Jukebox, Prelude to Class Clown, and The High Life, released later that year. While no singles were released for Kids, the mixtape did produce seven music videos for songs such as Kool-Aid and Frozen Pizza, Nike's On My Feet, and Knock Knock. The most recent video from this mixtape for the song Don't Mind If I Do was released on April 29th, 2020 on the official Mac Miller YouTube channel. Following the release of Kids, the release of projects did not let up for Miller. Mixtapes such as Best Day Ever, Macadelic, and Faces were released with his final mixtape, Run On Sentences Volume 2, being released in December 2015 under the pseudonym Larry Fisherman. Miller prominently released five albums. 2011's Blue Slide Park and 2013's Watching Movies with the Sound Off, both on Rostrum Records, and 2015's A Good AM, 2016's The Divine Feminine, and 2018's Swimming, released on Warner Records. Four of these five albums, excluding Watching Movies with the Sound Off, were certified gold by the Recording Industry Association of America. Sadly, Malcolm James McCormick passed away on September 7, 2018 of a drug overdose, just over a month after the release of Swimming and as he was in preparation to go on tour to support the album. The companion album to Swimming, entitled Circles, was released posthumously on January 17, 2020. So Kids kicks off with the uh, Kids intro. And what I loved about this song, um, there was a nice little spoken word uh, section at the beginning that I really, really enjoyed. I was listening to the beat, reminded me a little bit of, of Lil Wayne and kind of those 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 albums in the in the um, the uh, the mid to late two thousands. Um, I thought the uh, he had a line in here, um, and he found he found the way to. I found it cool because because Mac Miller was Jewish, and he found the way to also <laughs> he also found the way to, to to throw in lyrics about being Jewish, and. Um, I love the lyric here uh, where he said, letters from my soul, scriptures from the Torah, only give you what you like. I'm a station on Pandora. I don't know why, but I really, really like that line. Um, and I thought, I thought it was a, um, a really, really good intro uh, on the album. I, I just, I, like you said, the spoken word part, I think is so pure. It was like a bunch of kids in like high school were like, 
you know, music is everything to us, we have to start it off with like just that important. So he's like, music. Like, I, I, it's such a silly intro and it just it started the vibe for the whole album. And I think listening to this album now that I have this past couple of days, it is a good album to listen to straight through because you feel a certain way the whole time. Uh, we move on there. Uh, the song Outside. Um, dude, I'm, I'm a huge fan of when jazz is introduced in hip hop. That's why I think like one of my favorite records of all time, regardless of genre, is um, Kendrick Lamar's album To Pimp a Butterfly. Because, because he, he was incorporating, um, he was incorporating a bunch of different, um, jazz, he, he, it, it was jazz and, and hip hop elements from, or excuse me, jazz and funk elements from 1974 and 1975. Um, cause those were the records that he grew up listening to, um, that, that his parents would play. Um, yeah. so hearing outside, I got sort of a glimpse into, and I haven't listened to a lot of his recent stuff outside of a few songs um but some of the more jazzy direction he would eventually turn to um oh, yeah, yeah. On, on future on future projects like divine feminine he does a great job throwing in the saxophone and the trumpet all the time in there it's awesome he has the lyric here uh, enjoy the place that you live in at stay around we're just some kids and the world is our playground love that line um, there were there were times that 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 some of the lyrics didn't didn't hit for me um, whether it was the the flow or whatever but I I um, uh, I don't know why the the one the one lyric here waiting for waiting for my homie Mr Sun to come our way like I don't I don't I don't know what it was about about that just for some reason it wasn't wasn't for me personally but I mean the 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 beat the beat alone the the, the theme for me of this entire mixtape is that the beats are amazing. And and this was certainly uh, certainly another one I loved. I loved the way the beat um, the beat rode out and just kind of you know went off, went off into uh, went in, in, into the ether so to speak as opposed to just ending uh, whenever he was done rapping. I feel too, I kind of agree with you that like the flow, especially in this song, can almost be thrown away because again this was the song I remember like smoking a blunt at the park that we weren't supposed to smoke a blunt to with this playing in the background. It was like, it's like daisy music. Like we were on a daze, a little high, and this played in the background. So you weren't really paying attention to the lyrics. And as I read through it, same thing like you, like some of the lyrics are very like almost elementary um, where it's like, and that's what was cool about it. It was attainably, it was attainable rap. It was like, I could have made this. And then, but I probably couldn't have put it together. And like, it was such, like I said, the word daisy was like, you were in the clouds listening to it. And it was really, really like, that's, Again, the feel more than the lyricism, especially for the second song outside. Uh, transition from there into the song "Get 'Em Up." Uh, again, I think this is going to basically sound like a broken record with with a bunch of the tracks we talk about, but just the beat slaps. Um, I, <laughs> the beats really do slap. Yeah, um, I I don't know what it is, man. The the beats on this album were were amazing, um, and and certainly this had. And I think you and I are kind of coming from the same place, and that the the lyricism isn't isn't necessarily the best, um, but some of his some of his lines are clever, and I love this one um, in the first verse um, where he says, "Leave him in a daze, all like what day is it? Yeah, that boy got class, no Cambridge." <laughs> That's 
I, I didn't even pick up on that the first time. I was like, that's a great, I was like, wait, Cambridge. Oh, I get it. Cause Harvard's yeah. in Cambridge. I was like, that is, that is awesome. He had, he had some, he had a couple, couple of spots in here. Um, that, uh, that had some good, um, some, some good lyricism. Um, you know, one of them here, you know, um, you ain't nothing with your whack rap used to be the class clown, but now I get the last laugh. Thought yeah. that was, thought that was a great line as well. He, I think, I think lyrically so far to this point, those were, those were some of the best ones, um, to that, to that point in the album. And, and, and to kind of carry off that, like the song is so, it's almost humbling how like he knew he was just a, a high school college rapper. Like he wasn't talking about guns or Mercedes Benzes. Like in verse two, he goes, I got a brand new phone, rocking brand new clothes. Like that's very minimalist. Like I could get brand new. I just got a brand new phone. I just got brand new clothes. The opening line is something about riding and his, the wheel stays spinning on the Civic Boy. Like he's talking about him driving a Honda Civic. Like these are, I could have been driving a Honda Civic. Uh, but my favorite line in the whole thing comes from verse one. He, I think he goes, I'm Justin Bieber meets Jadakiss. And I love Justin Bieber and I love Jadakiss. Those are just two artists where I'm like, Justin Bieber, say what you want about him when he was in his like teenage years. But what would you have done if you were making millions of dollars since you were like 13? You're going to be a little reckless and he's handsome and he's cool. And Jadakiss is just one of these, those people who've always been involved in the hip hop community and has been respected. And if he, if he's saying like he's Justin Bieber makes Jadakiss, like he's owning his white, respecting it and saying like Jadakiss had really nice flow and was like a really good hip hop, like rapper. So like, I thought that was a really cool comparison to give yourself. And it wasn't like, I'm going to be one of the greatest, like Jay-Z and Nas. He's like, no, I'm going to be like, Jadakiss, who's maybe top 40, and then Justin Bieber, who's like a pop artist. Like, I think that's very cool. From Get Em Up, we head towards track number four, Nike's On My Feet. Um, personally, me, I the, 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 the repetition of just saying Nike, I get it. The song's called Nike's On My Feet, but, um, you know, I, I thought it was cool. They, um, um, I guess the beat was, was something related to Nas. Because it's it's a it's a it's a nineties Nas beat that Nas murders the track. Right. And 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 Nas it's basically him and Mac just going back and forth, which which I mean obviously you know, they, they weren't didn't do the track at the same time, obviously, but um I guess kind of Mac mirroring one of his uh, one of his idols, so to speak. Um just saying Nike. And I I don't I don't know what it was. There were there were a few songs later on, at least one song later on where um where there was a little bit of repetition, I was like, okay, yeah, this works. But then there are other songs where, uh, like this one, for example, where I was just like, okay, yeah, I get it. Nike's on my feet. Ha, ha okay. We, we, you're, are you getting paid to say Nike? Like, like, what are we doing here, guys? Um, <laughs> and he was not getting paid to say Nike. And the the beat, again, I have it, I have it written here in all caps, beat slaps. Yeah. Uh, and two lyrics that I really, really enjoyed. He had a, he had a line... Um, where he said, "With what I'm spitting, they should give me uh, they should give me a degree," um, and I thought that was cool because you know he was he talks a lot in here about about getting through high school, not not going to college. He had no no desire to go to college, but he's like, "Oh yeah, like I'm doing so good um, at this that um, I give me a degree because lyrically nobody can touch me," um, and and it, which which is weird too, just because the as we talked about before, you know, the, who knows like where the lyrics stand. Um, so far to this point, but I loved, um, the other, the other one I liked here. Um, and I had, I had to double check because the album, the mixtape came out in 2010 
And later in that year, what he says here makes sense. He says, um, but once my album goes in the shelves, it's going next tell how it's finna sell. And I was like, wait, did ne- was that was it that long ago that that sale happened? And yeah, it was it was in 2010. Yeah, that's, that that like, that sale happened. I, was, I thought that was funny. That's actually a re- really good catch, especially to like fact check him on that. Um, I'll, I'll agree with you completely. Beat slaps. I like the little high pitch. Like I thought that was like a fun additive because like it just again the whole album is upbeat. The the only thing that I honestly care about from this album is it surprisingly was the first time I, in 2010, when I heard it, heard the word finna instead of gonna. He ends it with finna blow, don't snooze, don't sleep, all I really need some shoes on my feet. Like, Pittsburgh started the finna thing. And I always thought it was stupid, but I'm like, oh, Mac Miller like said finna in the song before pretty much anyone else. I thought that was cool. I started saying finna back then, thought I was like a trendsetter. Cause I looked it up on the Raptors. I was like, what's finna me? Oh, he means gonna like, Ooh, is that a thing? And then I saw that that was like a slang. So I started doing that and then I started hating it, but nonetheless, you know, a culture creator right there. Before we get on to the next track, I'll also say too, one of my best friends from high school, he now lives uh, down South and um, he was, he spent a few weeks at my parents' house. Um, and he was telling me that um, he and I were just talking about, about, you know, I would jokingly say like, oh, yuck, you finna do this, you finna do that. And and um, and he says, yeah, in, in the South, they actually say that for real. And yep. like, like they don't know gun. I was like, are you kidding me? And he's like, no, not at all. And um, that's wild. Yeah, I found that I found that funny. Um, <laughs> so we move on. <laughs> so the song Senior Skip Day, right? Um uh, I need to I need to tell you a story once we're done once we're done recording here. Oh, okay. Um, I I don't know I I, I sent you a uh, a funny snap earlier about my reaction when I was listening to this song. Yep. Um, and I feel like I need to tell that story, uh, but it's it's a non yeah uh, off the podcast anyway. Um, so senior skip day. Um, I think it's another song that kind of points to where he would go uh, in later projects down the line. A really really groovy song, and it's it's about you know kind of ending high school because at the time the mixtape mixtape came out he was 18 timelines right he would have just graduated from high school and yeah. uh kind of a kind of a you know swan song to his uh to his high school days this is my favorite music video of mac miller's because it's literally so colorful so pure like you said so groovy funky i could talk about this song for a while but there's actually only one important part to it and it's the outro and so the outro isn't explicit. It's my favorite outro of all time. I talk about it. All, like I make this reference all the time when I'm talking about sex. And it's these two girls. She goes, hardcore pound, you know, it's that, uh, it goes, uh, there's a difference between making love, having sex, and then, you know, it's the only way to do it. It's that boom, boom, boom. And I remember hearing that as like I was 16 or 15 at the time. I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. It actually gave me a ton of insight on sex on like how there is different types of sex and like what kind of like what you're there for, like which one of these are we partaking in? Also like, are you having sex with people? Are you making love to people? Like it was so cool. My little 15, 16 year old mind was blown away and it was explicit because they're using bad words. And I was like, whoa, this is so cool. And I've used this reference in like joking with people. As you know, if you know me, I'm a storyteller. So anytime I can like bring things in, I feel like I'm even better of a storyteller and I brought this in a handful of times and it's probably my favorite part of the whole song. 
Um, speaking of, uh, of intercourse and coitus, uh, we move on to The Spins, uh, which is another song about that similar subject. Um, first of all, oh, the, yeah. the beat was, was a great switch up. And when I was hearing it, the first thing that came to mind for me was the song by Post Malone called Circles. Yep. The beat, Very similar. The beat to this song reminds me of, of that song. And I enjoyed it. That the It was just a switch up to just New Wave. And New Wave isn't, I think, one of the more popular genres now. But um, in its day, man, it was it was crazy popular. And, and, and New Wave works a lot. Um, I'll, I'll say um, for, 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 for the purposes of this, of this podcast, I, I don't want to uh, r- reveal the lyric, but I'll just say there's a great line in here about getting a concussion. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I thought, <laughs> I thought was a, I thought was a really good line. Yeah, um, I've always appreciated the way Mac Miller, who sits at about my stature, doesn't talk about like having like, like other people are talking about like having large extremities and like being super great at sex. Like Mac has always just been a little freaky, and like he's always thrown it in a little bit, and mm-hmm. like in a very like fluidly sexual way and i've always thought that was cool because he did have a very you you could say very masculine demeanor but like he always thrown in little sexy stuff here and there um i i really just appreciate this song for the you kind of want to bop your shoulders back and forth like that mansion a jacuzzi like you kind of want to bop with it you want to have a good time with it and like you said it's a very original beat I, i genuinely think it's a very unique sound and that's how i can appreciate it so so significantly um next two songs i don't have much much notes on these but i I, you know i obviously want to get your thoughts on them so we start with uh traffic in the sky um loved again the beats the beat i just said god the beats i think (laughs) after after a while i i i need to come up with new new words or phrases or synonyms to use um, to describe just how how well the how good to the ear uh, a bunch of the beats sound on this on this album um, was a big fan of the chorus in this song uh, of this song as well. Um, it was a good song. It was a good song. Um, I the the next two songs we're going to talk about are not throwaway songs for me, but they're songs that like like for example, if I was smoking a blunt with my friends driving to put on this album, I don't start with this song. But if I, the whole album's on shuffle, I'm not gonna skip it sure. because it does. The chorus does get into it's just very like lean back, melodic. Like let's just watch the clouds go by. It's a it's a very it's a little bit slower. The the beat's not as aggressive. You know, it's really good background. Hey, I just want to listen to music and just have it there and me there. And we're like we're like neighbors, but we're not really talking to each other. Like I feel like it's that kind of song. Um, and like th- there are some funky lyrics but like you do start to see he in this part of it like you're not thrown you're not blown away by the lyricism he's just doing a good job of making another song on the track that fits the feel uh, so traffic in the sky i can leave it there and say like no nah, it's not my favorite but it was cool and then we move on to don't mind if i do um and i i, I write my thoughts kind of as the song progresses um so and all I read, all the notes I have here are about the beat. So um, I literally wrote down, "Beat reminds me of Owl City." Spoiler alert: It is. 
Is Owl City exactly? Because I, it's a it's 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 a, a an edited and remixed version, higher pitched version of Owl City's Fireflies. Um, yep. Because in the chorus, it's it's Mac and and the man behind Owl City. Um, just you know, you hear him kind of sing the chorus from from Fireflies, and and Mac's doing his thing over that. I uh, I this album also was really cool to me because I love all the banter that goes on in the middle of songs. Like he again ends it with "We're just the mother effing kids," you know. He like talks during it. He's like, I love how how he shouts out his producer. Like Big Germ has always gotten the accreditation from Mac. I hope that he was paid handsomely. But like I love that Mac always shouted out his people, and I always thought that was a really like respectful way to handle your music, especially as a white artist. Like giving understanding that your platform has been created by other people, like a, a whole other culture. I thought it was cool. Like Mac did a much better job than a lot of other white rappers, at least trying to give credit where credit needed to be done. And I love that a lot. Um, I love that Ed, this had to stay a mixtape because he really did just steal the audio from Al City. Like this, uh, he, uh, so after he died, they really pushed for like, hey, we want all Mac music to be available for people, like just to respect the name. And what you have to do with that is get the proper accreditations for all the people that could sue. And like, apparently Al City gave the okay after he died and said like, hey, you know, do it. Like, it's not doing me any harm. But at the time, you know, I'm sure that's one of the reasons this was a mixtape and not an album. Um, next is kind of, I, I would say, was one of my least favorite tracks, at least so far to this point, and that's Paper Root. Um well, Chevy Woods does a better job than Mac Miller on the song. And, and that's, I'll, I hate when that happens. I'll say that, you know, I thought, I thought Chevy, Chevy Woods' verse was, was good. I thought, I thought it was, I thought it was good. Um, the one part that threw me off a lot was the chorus, because to me, he was sounding like, like a poor man's Wiz Khalifa. And I, I, I don't know why. That's really, that's really true. Very, very, very insightful there. You're right. And like the whole song kind of has that feel. Like, you kind of think, is it Wiz Khalifa? Because, like, Mac does have songs with Wiz Khalifa. I believe, what's that song? So what? We smoked. Like, there, there was a Wiz Khalifa Mac Miller song. And, like, this just sounds like, because we're older, probably when this came out, it was more original. But because we know the other ones, we're like, oh, this exactly poor man's Wiz Khalifa. Yeah. I, I don't like, I've always had the issue, though, like, almost why you can't have J. Cole and Kendrick feature, because they're going to, like, they're gonna put. They're gonna take your song. They're gonna do it. Like that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, like Mac Miller, like you can't keep giving me all right lyrics and then have someone come and at least change it up. And like you have to win that battle in every song. Like as a rapper or music artist, you you can't be the second best person on your song. No, not at all. Not at all. I agree with you there, man. So, um, uh, past the halfway point, we move on to the track "Good Evening." Big fan of the beat. Um, there were points where, like, I, his, his the flow seemed a little off to me when he was rapping because there were points where, like, you would like I would read along with the lyrics and and as he would, um, you know, the part where where you're listening to the beat and you're like, oh, well, you should go from it should go from verse to to the to the next verse, and then oh no, you're still in the same verse, and then it, like as at the inner band kid in me was was starting to to freak out a little bit um with uh with some of the flow choices here however i do love the 
Um, the one line here obviously being from Pittsburgh. He's a Steelers fan, so he makes reference to um, I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know if he was on the team at the time. I'm going to assume he was, but Willie Parker. Um, yeah. He says that was his year 20, 20, 2010 through twenty thirteen were like Willie Parker days. Uh, Willie Parker, Willie Parker money handed off, then it's running back. I love that line. I love that line. <laughs> and again, to talk about it, this kid was like 17, 18 years old writing this stuff. You know, and that's why it's my favorite album. That's why it means so much to me again. Because um, it is kind of trivial. Like, he doesn't follow flows, right? And then it's so cool to hear this album and then watch him grow through all the other albums. Like, it's a shame he passed away. It really is. Because, like, every album had these new nuances of learning the music world. Because I'm sure he wasn't exactly coming from, like, a musical genius standpoint. He was a kid rapping, and then he kept learning and learning. He taught himself the piano, I'm sure, after this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, again, this album, though, it has a lot to do with, like, the interlude. Uh, he, like, shouts out Germ. Young and so much time to go. Like, again, it's one of those things, like, you listen to a car, you're with friends, you're having a good time. Good Evening is a song you could play at, like, an upbeat event. You don't have to be smoking. Like, and I keep talking about smoking. I'm talking about legal things. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, but, like, you know, you could play this song in a lot of places with an upbeat energy and you could follow with it. Um, so next we head on to the song, uh, Ride Around. Um, a couple of lyrics in here that I was a big fan of. There, there was one that was, that was kind of questionable, um, which I think in 2020 would probably not, it, I, not probably, it just wouldn't, wouldn't fly at all. And he makes a reference to, um, Ben Roethlisberger's past transgressions. Uh. Yep. That he supposedly did, didn't, you know, what, whatever the situation was. Um, but he, he he sort of makes a reference to that, which, which you know, I, which is clever. I'll give it that. It is clever. Um, but in, in, in today's, today's hip-hop game, I don't think that lyric would fly at all. No, and, and I think, again, it goes with, like, shock value. Sometimes you, you know it's the vulgar thing that people are going to pick up on, and exactly what you did, you picked up on it. Um, this is a throwaway song for me, to be honest. I kind of like that he uses, he says, up, up in the air playing Quidditch. Like, I think that's, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. I have the Deathly Hollows tattoo. Like, anytime you can throw a Harry Potter line in there, one, it humanizes you. Two, it makes you feel like, hey, you're a nerd too. And like, this was Mac Miller saying like, ah, I, re- I like Harry Potter. And I, I thought that was cool. I do got to, go ahead, go ahead. Well, I need to see, and like, this is where you start to see if like, he doesn't have the lyrical, explosion yet because he like re-references his civic he like is still not talking about the same things but when you dissect the music you're like oh you know he's still talking about super relatable stuff as i say the 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 one the one lyric i did enjoy though um he references john elway and he says above the clouds seeing stars like la have your girl always coming back like elway and as as a as a sports fan and 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 a bit of (laughs) a bit of knowledge about the game of football um yeah, he's right because Elway was the king of comebacks when he played. So, um, then we have what I think is one of his, at least for me, was one of I would I would say maybe one of it's one of my favorite songs of his personally. Um, one of his greatest songs produced, I think, ever. Uh, after hearing all the music, I'll put it in there. Yep. I was gonna say I would argue certainly one of his most celebrated songs, at least in the early days, uh, and that is "Knock Knock." Um, so yeah, one of my one of my favorite songs. The beat is iconic. Um, you hear that song, you know you know exactly what it is. 
Um, I was a big fan of his flow, especially in uh, in the second verse. His he was he was going all over the place. The Milli Vanilli, but this is really how it goes. Thing like I thought that was so. It showed him as a rapper. Dude, his his his, his yeah, exactly. His his flow was was amazing. The, I really um, I love the bridge towards uh, towards the end of the song. I thought that was uh, I thought that was funny. Um, I, I he some of some of the uh, the similes uh, the similes he uses and, and just just the the, lyr- the lyricism he has um, in this song at least um, yeah I thought was I thought was um, really really cool his line about about uh, Michael Phelps I thought was <laughs> I thought was uh, was was a great line I'm, I'm trying I'm struggling to find uh, the find the lyric now here here it is. Um, um, I ain't got a Benz, no, just a Honda, but trying to get my money like an Anaconda. So <laughs> when I heard that, the first thing that came to mind for whatever reason was, uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot, Baby Got Back. Yes. That's a classic. Like, I was like, okay, yeah, he's, cause it's a big song. Okay. Yeah. Now I get it. Well, and I found the line, uh, about Michael Phelps. First off, the line before it goes, girls give me brain because I'm acting like a gentleman. Like, we all know what that implicit is there. Like, I love when people can be vulgar in an appropriate way. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I'm deeper in the water than Michael Phelps was in. Again, finna have a party, baby, you can tell, me, and tell your friends. Like, it's so, like, I remember playing this song before, like, if we were having, like, a high school party, I would play this before to get riled up, to get the energy moving. I'd be like, come on, guys, like, put your arm around people. One, two, three, four, like. You you didn't even have to know the song. By halfway through the song, you were like, "I'll do the one, two, three, four thing." You know what I mean? And I, I thought it was a very pure song. And and like you said, the beats have not let you down on the album. Like if this was an instrumental at the end of the day, like that's why people look up Mac Mill, Mac Miller style beats to freestyle on. Like it, it's probably the top five most searched rappers that they just want the beats because they're attainable, they're accessible, and they're they're they're. I guess I don't know if this word. They're flowable. You, they're able to flow on that. I will say to hearing hearing that that lyric about Michael Phelps. I and it's completely different context, but I thought of. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard it, but it was a a freestyle that was released. I want to say it was about five years ago. It was Kendrick and J Cole. Um, the back and forth. A Black Friday. Uh, Black Friday. Black Friday. Yep. So Kendrick, I think, freestyles over one of his beats. I know J. Cole did a freestyle over the beat for Kendrick's song, All Right. Yep. No, no, yep. That's exactly what they used to other's beats. But Kendrick had the lyric in there um, where he said, um, I'm rolling deep in the paper like two Adele's. <laughs> That's so funny. I love, I love Kendrick. Sorry. Anyway, back on. <laughs> back. So are you, Kendrick, are you Kendrick over Cole? Yes, hundred percent. I like J. Cole. I think he's good, but I think Kendrick is the best. He's the best rapper in the game. Best lyrical rapper in the game. Hundred percent. All right, I'm gonna agree with you. Best lyrical rapper because he talks about such serious things. Though it's hard for people to resonate with him, and that's how J. Cole stays in that argument all the time. I think that that's like the objective way to put it. Sure. Um, so we're gonna skip over the Mad Flava Heavy Flow interlude. It's a thirty-second just instrumental interlude. It's out it, again. It's something else that slaps. Just shout out DJ Bonix. Mac just wanted to give him a thirty-second snippet of him being a great DJ. Um, we move on there um, as we as we head towards the end. Uh, Kool Aid and frozen pizza. Um, 
again, all about the beat. I literally have all caps, beat, baby. Um, <laughs> and then I, I, I'm a big fan of hip hop songs when, when the beat rides out and it doesn't just end and there's like that sustain of, of, of like a note. It's like when you, um, you know, when you play a piano and you just hold, hold the chord, right? Um, and I love, I love just like kind of nodding your head to the beat and just letting the beat ride out. Well, I also too with this song, I, I really love this album because it kept with the feel and like throughout the album now, this is probably the third or fourth time, he keeps saying we're just some mother effing kids. And like, that's the whole gist of the album of like the senior year, but growing up, but having fun, but we're still just kids. The album's called Kids. Like, I love that in the song, like you said, beats crazy, lyrics go really hard. And then all of a sudden he's just like, and we're just some mother effing kids. Like, I think it's really cool. Um, from there, we move on to All I Want Is You. No, this isn't the Mariah Carey song. Um, if only. Jeez. Um, love the intro to this track. Um, it was a, it was a good, good flow by him. Great chorus in the song. Um, a song about love. And I, you know, love songs are, are in, a, in, a, in an album that is just like kind of like these you know, bangers that, as you mentioned, you know, it's, it's like something you would, um, but that you would hear in, in like high school parties and things like that. Um, so the, some of the beat a little bit kind of also reminded me of something like, like the electronic keyboards of a guy like Stevie wonder. Um, and so, so I thought that was pretty cool. And I loved, um, uh, the, the line here where he says, uh, she try and be a little player, thinks she cute too, but I'm a yanker out the game like a loose tooth. <laughs> That's awesome. I don't know why, but I like it. Like it's a good lyric. I just think that this is a simple love song, and it's nice because, you know, at at the age we were listening to this type of Mac Miller, we were giving, we were listening to more intricate lyrics, especially you know you and I being into like, pop punk and metal, like you know very emotional stuff. And this is a rapper now, kind of just saying like, yo, there's emotions too. I'm, you know, love and heartbreak and here's my song for it. And it's, girl, I don't want to share you. We could be together, but you're scared too. Like these are high school feelings. And exactly when this came out, again, the reason that I love this album, I felt those things, you know, like you're terrified of all this stuff and it's new. And, and, and I think he does a really authentic job of being a 17, 18 year old talking about feelings and love. Um, one of my favorite songs on the mixtape is next with the song Poppy. Um, really, really deep, heavy intro. And, and before I, I was listening to it and I just thought, oh, well, it, it's, it's, it, it was weird because, um, so I'll bring it, I'll bring it back to, to, uh, we mentioned earlier about, um, Anthony Fantano and, um, he reviewed, um, David Bowie's last album, Black Star came out literally two days, I think, or I think two or three days before he passed away. Like, wow. like as he was, I think he was battling cancer. As he was battling cancer, he was recording this album. Then he passes away. Then you listen to the lyrics of the album and it's like, holy crap. Like he's basically accepting the fact that he's going to die. And, yeah. and, 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 and Fantano uh, touches on that. And when I'm listening to this, it's one of those things where I think like, after an artist dies and they read the lyrics and they're like, Oh, like he, like stuff was, stuff was going on. 
Yeah. Um, I think in recent memory, more so to, to a band I think I tailored to a little bit growing up, like a band like Linkin Park. Um, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the songs, and uh, you know, speaking objectively, that Linkin Park's last record wasn't that good because um, they went pop, if we're being honest. Um, but you know, you listen to a lot of the lyrics where Chester is talking about really, really heavy stuff, and you don't put two and two together at the time. And then all of a sudden what happens with him happens. And then it's like, crap, like what, what, like, how did we miss this? So I'm listening to Poppy and initially I was getting that vibe of like, uh, oh, he's, he's addressing, you know, his own sort of struggles with, with, with death and, and how that has an impact on him. But then, but then he, in a sense he does, but he's, he's, he's focusing specifically on his grandfather. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was an emotional track. Um, I, I loved it. The, the jazzy beat on that song was awesome, but, but more, more importantly than that was the, the, the lyrical content here. And I find it funny because the entire time we're like, yeah, these songs have good lyrics, but overall it's not that great. This is one of the songs that I think he just didn't care. He wasn't trying to fit a specific persona. He was just you know, he was just writing from the heart about his grandfather. Thought- it almost felt like free verse poetry at parts where like, I, I'm looking over right now and he's honestly just, there's no hype. There's no him trying to sell it more. He's like, so ha- like he's, it's funny that he's writing it also in the tone of like a letter to him in heaven. Cause he knows he's a good guy. And if heaven does exist, he's doing that. And he's like, so how are they treating you up there to stuff for cane? Way too cool. See him in your house walking me to school like these are just real things that happen between him and his grandfather and they were all again so relatable to like yo anyone who lost someone like these are the thoughts you have when you're doing it from the most positive light you can because death already is a touchy thing matt gets in on it in his later albums a lot more about his struggles and life and death and the value of life and the importance of life and like this was his like breaking the mold into like that next tier of like authenticity Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, final, the final track on the standard release of this mixtape is Face in the Crowd. Um, big fan of, of sort of the introspection that Matt, that Matt Mac has in the first verse. Another great jazzy style of beat um, that in terms of the, the standard edition of the, of the mixtape, um, excuse me, was a, uh, was a great end uh, to, the, uh, to the album. I think like face in the crowd's cool. I, I think it's like us also understanding Mac feeling like quote unquote face in the crowd. I really like in the chorus. It just follows the suit of being like this upbeat track. Don't you feel good? Don't you feel great? I feel so high. I hope you can relate. Like him just spreading some positivity through his music, him being upbeat the whole time. It kind of is a good tale to the album of like, hey, I've hit you with some bangers. And then the last two songs are a little more emotional. Um, and then he's like, let me, let me bring you back home. Let me like, you know, give you a Mac Miller S song. And I, I, I like the way he did all I want is you poppy and then facing the face in the uh, face in the crowd. And I liked also that he put his bangers in the top nine or 10 tracks and then he let it, he let it trail out. Like this was a good outro song. Like don't put a banger as your last song. I should have already heard that. So I think this, the face in the crowd did a good job. I felt like it was just a very Mac Miller-esque song. 
the bonus edition, however, does uh, conclude with the song La 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 La. Um, uh, the beat kind of reminded me of something that Dr. Dre would put together. I was getting sort of um, so, sort of that that era vibe from you know Dre, one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest producers ever in hip hop, and um, one of my favorite one of my favorite lines here um, where he says. Uh, Chiefin, feastin, king of the new school. I'm speaking in tongues. Try translating voodoo. <laughs> Dude, that actually, when you hear someone else say it and like read it, that is great. It's great. I, I love it. I love that line. Um, so a little backtrack of what's going on right there. A rapper who also came out roughly the time of Mac Miller was Chris Webby. And Chris Webby did a La 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 uh, remix. Uh, so he did one. A couple other, you know, frat rappers, up and coming you know, underground rappers were doing the la la la. And the reason this got added to the mixtape is I really think Mac, because he really only does one like long winded verse. I think he kills it for being, for what he was up against. Like, do I think like if this wasn't like a, a, a track that like Jay-Z and Kanye were going over, it was like all these up and coming rappers were like, who can put out the best la la la. And Mac came did his first, used some really good lyricism, proved his point, and then he was like, oh, this is my bonus track. Just so when you want to compare me to especially other white rappers, remember this. So I, I thought him adding it on it is, like, really cool. So that was Kids from Mac Miller. It is on Spotify, just recently added. Check check the mixtape out, if nothing else, just for the beats, because looking over my notes for well over half the songs, uh, I just, I, I, the beats, just the beats, the beats are saucy. The beats are, the beats are great. Um, saucy, check, I love it. Check out, check it out, uh, on Spotify. Um, also, you know, he, uh, a posthumous album was released, uh, late last year called Circles. Um, sort of when I heard about that, you know, that's kind of the, the, the whole concept of, of being stuck in repetition, swimming in circles. So the album before that, his last album when he was alive, uh, was the album Swimming, and this album is Circles. One of my favorite tracks of his is on that album, Hand Me Downs. Great tune. Um, great song. Um, check, check, check out all of his stuff. It's on Spotify. It's 2020, guys. We have access to technology. Listen to Mac uh, and rest in peace to uh, to Mac Miller. Um, wow, we were we were uh, on this call for nearly two hours, my friend. Um, so it's been, it's been a great time before we head out. Uh, I'll give you the floor for, uh, anything you, uh, want to go ahead and promote. Awesome. So first and foremost, uh, rest in peace, Mac Miller, uh, one of the most influential artists of my life, even though, you know, he didn't live that long. Um, and relating Mac Miller to my story, to what I want to promote is Mac Miller did die of a drug overdose. He was, uh, from the reports, he was given bad drugs. Uh, he was doing a lot of drugs because he was dealing with a lot of uh, mental health issues. And he was in a position where like his escape was abusing drugs and that's not healthy. And I'm not asking anyone to do that, but I am saying to continue to be aware of your mental state and your mental health and the people around you. Um, and with that, you know, please go check out the brand. I'm happy you're alive. Mac Miller was one of my influences here. I wish I could have met Mac and gave him my spiel. Maybe he would have, you know, not been in that situation. Maybe he would have been able to have a more positive outlook on things and not resort to drugs in those ways. So check out I'm Happy Live on Instagram, on Twitter. 
Uh, I have a web store up on Instagram. You can order shirts. 30% of the proceeds uh, go towards me just helping out mental health awareness, mental health education, and then the trickle down system. So helping kids get the resources and things they need. Um, thank you for having me on Jake Simmers. Amazing to hear you talk to you, especially during a quarantine, man. I cannot wait to shotgun a rolling rock with you. To be honest, I'm unemployed right now. Um, a drive down to West Virginia does not sound like the worst thing to me. So uh, keep that on your radar. Um, if so long as you don't have the, uh, the COVID, I, I would love to see you as soon as I can. Um, congratulations on starting a podcast, man. I, I'm telling you, you have the voice and the tone for it, and you're only going to get better and more fluid with it. Thank you for letting me share my ideas and my thoughts. And thank you for having me, man. I can't add anything else than that. The dude's going to make me blush, even though my face is always red. So um, uh, where, where can they follow you on, on the socials, should they desire? So it's at I'm Happy You're Alive, and the your is spelled U-R, um, I-M-H-A-P-P-Y-U-R-A-L-I-V-E. That is my patent and coin phrase. Please don't steal it because I don't want to have to sue anyone. <laughs> That's where we'll leave things today. Rocky Elgogri. I think I got it right. You said it right, brother. Thank you very much. Sir, thank you so much for coming on the Bangerhead Podcast, man. Really appreciate the time. Stay safe, all right? You too, man. You too. Can't thank Rocky Elgogri enough. Please check out his brand, I'm Happy You're Alive. uh, t-shirts i think he's working on hats and different types of merch like that on uh, he's on twitter and instagram at i'm happy you're you are alive um it's a website as well just search for i'm happy you're alive on google and as i mentioned twitter and instagram find find his pages follow them um he's making a positive impact and it's really really cool so uh definitely check out the brand support if you can That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Bang Your Head podcast. As always, appreciate you tuning in. Don't forget to check out the Facebook page. Search for Bang Your Head podcast with Jake Zimmers. And there's nothing left. There's nothing else to do um, other than, of course, to check out our our new homes, including Spotify and Google Podcast, for more ways to listen to the show. Uh, super stoked about next week's episode as well. Sitting down with uh, Pete Long. Pete was uh, he's, he has a new project called My Cousin's Girlfriend's House, and we're going to talk about that. But before we get to next week, I want to give you a sneak preview uh, to into one of his bands that we discussed on this episode. So I'm going to play you a song as my independent song of the week. A track from his previous band's EP entitled A Shoulder to Lean On But Not a Crutch. This is Pete Long's band Above the Mendoza, and the song is called House Special 2. Hope you enjoy it, and hope to see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. I can't talk. Anyway, thank you so much for listening to the Bang Your Head Podcast. Stay safe, guys. Whenever I come back in my high school memory
Cause whenever I come back here My high school memories leave me alive Like the candy in my cap meter This 13 hour drive Keeps straight Don't you worry I'll be back again I'll call you when I'm School memory.